Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome, listeners, to this Universe's edition of the Feeling Film Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Alpha Patch, and with me, ready to discuss as many versions of this story as possible, including ones with hot dog fingers, is my best friend and co-host, Aaron. What would you give up if you had to, Patrick? Everything bagels or hot dogs? I would give up bagels. Everything bagels. The hot dogs. Really? I, I, Interesting. Yeah, I, I, can, I can totally live my life on processed meat with mystery ingredients in it. As long as you wrap it up in a nice soft bun, it's warm, and it has mustard on it. And I'm watching a baseball game as a plus. So can't really do that with a bagel. Bagel's like, hey, here's breakfast that'll make you tired in an hour. It's good. I like a good bagel, especially with cream cheese. Throw a little sausage on there. It makes it better. Now you got me thinking a little differently, second guessing. <laughs> I'm going back to hot dogs. It's going to be hot dogs. I can't live without hot dogs. <laughs> it's a solid choice. I okay. think I'd probably go hot dogs as well, but it would really pain me to have to give up everything bagels, which are delicious, and I hate that they're the symbol of like the end of all things in this movie. So here we are. I'm here as well, and I'm ready to talk. <laughs> well, good. Well, this week we are talking about the Golden Globe winning 2022 feature, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, or as most farmers would like to call it, E-E-A-A-O, because there was a movie about that. Anyway, you can venture to guess lyrics and music that might parody a certain nursery rhyme, but we're not doing that tonight. This one was something, Aaron. Uh, I have thoughts. Aaron, I'm sure you have thoughts. So with the pleasantries out of the way, here's your spoiler warning that we are going to be talking about this movie in depth. There's a lot to cover, as crazy as it is. So we'll just get right into it. It is streaming. It's available. Watch it. Come back. Join the conversation. Have some thoughts of your own. In the meantime, here are ours. First question, Aaron. Did you know anything about this when it first hit the big screen? And if so, or even if not, what did you feel coming out of uh, your first viewing and even the most recent one for the podcast? Well, I can't remember exactly when I saw it. I don't know if it was, I think I think I might have missed a press screening for this. And so it was maybe after the initial buzz had hit. I know I saw it in Purple Apley. <laughs> It's going to be that kind of night. Great. Early April. I have not been drinking. I swear. I probably will not be for a long time after this last weekend. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I saw it in early April. I was aware of some of its positive responses prior to seeing it. And I was massively impressed with it on a creativity and a technical level and just found it to be something that was totally unique and really engaging and really heartwarming in the end. I thought it had fantastic familial relationships with a diverse kind of a couple that I had never really seen portrayed in this way before. And the performances were all fantastic. And I really, really liked it. I also lost a lot of interest in what I would say is the second act. So there's like the everything and then the, I think everywhere is part two. And when we get into the everywhere act, most of it 
is kind of a bunch of a fight scenes and conflict and the absurdity of the absurd comedy of that this movie is really starts to take flight. And that stuff is always going to be hit or miss for me. I did not love the Daniels other main feature Swiss army man that they did, which was basically Daniel Radcliffe, like walking around and farting. I don't remember if it was Radcliffe or Dana. It was the two of them. One of them was like just a corpse essentially that would just farted. And it was that, that was funny to people and, and it's not to me at all, that kind of stuff. And so there's a lot of that kind of stuff in this movie that just doesn't work for me. And so it kind of, you know, comes and goes, but ultimately it lands the plane for me emotionally and I'm just so utterly beguiled by the pure insanity of what they have crafted and put on screen. It's so original that I couldn't help but be smitten with it for that very reason. And I just want to say, since the Golden Globes it is also just this weekend won the Best Picture Award from the Critics' Choice Society, Association, whatever they want to call themselves, I don't know, and the Association. And... That is a huge harbinger for this film's Oscar potential due to, you know, historic data basically saying that we are really closing in on everything everywhere all at once being almost a lock. And I do believe that that would be something really cool if it happened. It is not my favorite movie of the year. But of the main Oscar frontrunners, it's probably the one that I would love to be representing us decades down the line as having won this year because of how unique it is, how diverse it is. And really just, I feel like this would be such a huge win for the indie movie space. This is A24's biggest ever box office earner now. And it would really signal that like stories of this kind are worthwhile, can be great, can be masterpieces in people's mind and can be worthy of the highest awards. So I think it would be Really cool if it did take home the kind of prizes that we're thinking it might at the Oscars as well. So not a perfect movie for me, but a movie that I do truly like a whole lot and respect even more than that. Yeah, I kind of came away feeling the same way. This is a a film that would be right up my alley. It's kind of right up there with movies like Paprika. <laughs> That's like insane. And I think in some ways it sort of has that same DNA where I think it loses me is that some of the absurdity tends to lean a little bit too into the absurd. So I picked up on all of the things that it was trying to do. And at the same time, it took me a little bit to stay hyper-focused on the movie itself. And it's not like we're talking about Interstellar here, where we have to kind of watch every frame to know what's going on. There was good exposition. There was fun explanation. It had a lot of the stuff that kept you into the movie, but there were times when the absurdity felt a little bit too far in left field, and to bring it back was not impossible, but it was almost improbable. So it had a little bit of paprika flavor. It had a little bit of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy absurdity, and I think where it's both a blessing and a curse as a movie is how it handles and really introduces first and foremost, the themes that we're getting in here about parental control, about letting go of your children, about regretful decisions that you're making. 
And, you know, everything, everywhere, all at once is one of those movies that takes those poignant themes of parental disappointment, life regrets, and it's able to really successfully wrap them up in an absurd and entertaining two hours of crazy. You have to be able to accept that, though. And I think this is one of those movies that can be appreciated upon a second viewing, but you have to get past that first one. Because I definitely felt after I finished watching it that in some ways it felt slightly pretentious like oh i can see why people like this i can see why it's getting a lot of oscar buzz because it's got all those things that you mentioned and at the same time i feel like it landed the plane sort of on a hard nose like boom you know <laughs> like it landed it and i got it and it did hit me in some of the emotional places but i think some of the craziness that preceded it sort of watered that down for me it didn't take away from the entertainment value. And if I had to recommend it, I would say if you're a fan of things like Pulp Fiction on steroids, if you're a fan of the, a little bit more absurdity, this is a great mashup. And I think it has the potential to successfully translate those themes that are going on, especially with that strong third part, or at least the second, the, the tail end of the second part. Other than that, it just seems like a, a nutty movie. And so I can appreciate the fact that it's very aware of its absurdity and at the same time, somewhat careful to handle some of these heavier themes that are very much a real thing, especially when it comes to the kind of choices you make, how it plays with the parallel universes, how it grabs things from those parallel universes. So there's a lot of stuff here that I find incredibly uh, potential, has a lot of potential it just didn't all kind of sit well with me at the end where I feel like if I watched it again, knowing kind of what's coming up, sort of understanding the structure of it, it would make more sense. And I could focus on what I feel like hit us in the field as opposed to like, dude, you're getting slapped around with hot dog fingers. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> and and you know, it's fun to talk about. Does it leave it as a memorable movie? I think the fact that more people latch onto this and the fact that it's getting thrown into the Oscar conversation does exactly what you're saying, which is this is a finger pointing, maybe a hot dog finger, maybe a regular one, but it's a finger pointing to say, look, movies don't have to be really like straightforward. They don't have to be formulaic. They don't have to be like, oh yeah, of course that's going to be an Oscar movie to be an Oscar nominated film. And I think that I don't know how many films are being nominated this year. I know at one point there were like 15, which kind of diluted the importance of the Oscars. So hopefully this sits in a category, if it's being nominated for Best Picture, that it sits in a category with maybe five or six others. Even if it doesn't win, the fact that it's in that group, I think really does give it value in terms of like, these are at least the movies you need to check out. Yeah, so it's 10. That's the max it's ever been and it's 10 oh, this year for the first time in a long time actually. They're going to act they're going to use all 10 slots they've said. So is a long explanation I could go into about why it hasn't always been 10 because it has to do with like percentages and the way the voting works, but they've said there's going to be 10. So, you know, it, you're right. It does kind of dilute things. But I think the Oscars need that just as a really quick tangent because if we don't have a Top Gun Maverick and, and Avatar in that field, maybe even a glass onion, then where are the viewers coming from? <laughs> you've got you've to respect the populist opinion as well as the critical one. Uh, and, yeah. that, and you've got to marry those two, two things. Obviously, I want Top Gun Maverick to win, like everything, honestly. But And I think it's, I truly believe that, that it's the best movie of the year. But I think that I've come down to the point on awards where 
there, almost everything that gets nominated is worthy of recognition. And so what wins, I just want to be a good representative, even if it's not my favorite, like I was saying. Um, right. But to your point, earlier you're talking about maybe if you saw it again, you wouldn't concentrate as much on, or you would be able to concentrate more on it because you wouldn't be being just like thrown all of these things at you. That wasn't really my experience, to be honest. I felt just the same as I did the first time. Hot Dog Fingers are the really good example of this. Hilarious. One time. Hilarious the first time. When you jump into another universe and they use it as one of the examples of the absolute nonsensical nature of the different places you could end up is one of these worlds where people have stupid hot dog fingers that they lick and mustard comes out of and ketchup i don't even know how it works like i don't want to know honestly biologically how it works it was gross but the problem for me was like we go back to that so many times we go back to evelyn and deidre dancing around that house with their hot dog fingers in that one specific like universe or whatever and so that is what wears on me personally because it's not that i don't take in the joke the first time and say, ha ha ha, that's kind of funny. There's hot dog fingers. It's that you keep throwing at me, throwing it at me, throwing it at me. And this movie goes two hours and like 20 minutes. And there's so much of it. That's just that throwing at you over and over and over that gets old. Like then another thing that got old for me in the absurdist side was the different ways in which they had to do things to trigger moving into another alternate universe. So I think mechanically, that's fascinating. That's a really interesting and creative idea, right? When he eats the chapstick or has to pick up a piece of gum off of the thing. Or one of my favorites was like the paper cut thing because it was hilarious because it makes a, a real life joke. He's like, you can't do this unless, you know, if you're trying to. <laughs> and that's so absolutely true. But then you just keep pushing that idea and using it to get more vulgar and dumb both and you do it over and over and over and it gets kind of old for me instead of being creative and interesting it just becomes overplayed and so that was really yeah fully my big problem and and i think like you there's so much absurdity that you're taking in that it does detract some from that emotional connection even though it's there and I love what's there, man. I love the stuff that's really going on at the heart of this relationship between Evelyn and her daughter, Joy, and Evelyn and her husband, Waymond, and how they're navigating these things. But as funny as I think giving giving me a raccoonie or whatever it is that they call it, a ratatouille joke with a raccoon on your head, when you keep coming back to it over and over, it's like, okay, that's not, I'm just not, that's not the kind of thing that is going to connect to me emotionally. Uh, and it kind of, those things, those don't marry well. I think you use that word, the marriage of the comedy and the, you know, real serious, heartwarming, like story, story stuff kind of sometimes conflict a little bit. Yeah. And you can do that absurdity in small doses because what it does is it should serve as an access point or an accent piece to the story that you're trying to tell. And so when I describe the plane as landing really hard, like the landing gear, almost don't come down and so you have to kind of do a belly land. That's kind of how I felt where you had me intentionally or not laughing, shaking my head, putting my face in my hands going, really? What? And then at the very end, sort of 
wrapping it all up in a quick way, this serves sort of like when you're fighting MMA or in a boxing match, you can ticky-tack and punch all through a round. But if your opponent, and you can pop the guy like nine or ten times, but if the dude just wallops you with like a right or an uppercut right near the end of the round, even if you don't go down, the judges are going to see, okay, wow, that guy, they're going to remember that thing. Like the last thing they see is what they're going to remember. And so I think in some ways where I think the success of this film lives is in its ending, where you have conversations, the all at once part is where I think it has its strongest piece of drama and it's appropriately supposed to. It's you have that and then when you try to connect it to all this other stuff that's happened over the last like hour and 45 minutes, it really is challenging to say, are they really trying to get this message across and make me believe that these characters are sincere in how they feel and this is the journey they're on or are they trying to sort of throw in SNL jokes? for about an hour and 45 minutes, and then find a way to connect these pieces that make some kind of cohesive sense, even if it's wrapped up in a bunch of crazy. And I lean towards the latter. And I'm not saying it's bad storytelling. I just think it's a little mixed up for me because I don't want to be able to have to justify an hour and a half's worth of weirdness for the sake of feeling something for the last 15 or 20. I feel a little bit cheated. That's not to say that I don't love the rules that are set up. Like I think early on, I absolutely loved this concept of playing with the multiverse in a different way. The ability to tap into another version of yourself by doing something crazy, by doing something a little nutty, but still being able to say, okay, if the concept of the multiverse is what they're describing, where every choice you make is a branch and it branches and it branches, what would the current version of myself be like based off of a choice that I made two weeks ago or two years ago and or even 10 years ago or 15 years ago, would I have martial arts? Would I have the ability to play a sport or to take on and be dramatic in a way because I wanted to be an actor at some point? And I love that concept, not only to think about those things and to sort of reflect, but also to be able to tap into that. And so when you have somebody like Michelle Yeoh, who is very well known for doing a lot of different things. One of the moments I thought was a great sort of pointing to her as an actress is when she taps into her actress side. And one of the shots, one of the quick shots is Michelle Yeoh on the red carpet in front of a billboard for Crazy Rich Asians. And I was like, that's kind of cool. I like that. But even the concept of being able to connect with these other things having a little sci-fi element where there's this alpha verse that sort of started it all. It's really, really cool. And I don't mind getting a little stupid in this world. It's just when you lean so far into drama near the very end, I'm like, "Eh, really? I don't really buy a lot of that or I can't really get behind that. It just it made it difficult for me to feel like that was a satisfying conclusion. I almost would feel like let's keep it absurd the entire way through and not even worry about these overarching themes because it's not that they don't work at all. They just don't work well for me. Yeah, it there's a lot going on and and that's just what you're going to I think that it at least it has a title that is honest, right? It is everything everywhere all at once. That is what it throws at you and its intent is in a way to overwhelm you with this experience 
as a way of also showing you kind of what characters are feeling, right? So Joy is overwhelmed and to the point where that's how she becomes Dobu Topaki because she realizes she becomes very nihilistic. So we, we have Evelyn and we have Joy who are both essentially nihilistic. Evelyn feels like life is just a circle. She even says that, I think, at her birthday party, if I recall, during her speech. She says, oh, you know, it's just another year. We're just going around in circles. Nothing means anything. It's all, she, she can't find any happiness. And she just wants to snuff out anybody who tries to make happy in her life. I see her husband, Wayman, by the way, Kiwe Kwan, I'm so excited because he's winning all the awards. And I just hope that that continues because my goodness, what a lovely human being. And of course, everyone like you and I go all the way back to just finding him so awesome is short round and seeing him now these decades later, like having a career and doing this is really cool. But I think his performance, his character is the one that I latch on the most to here. But I see you a lot in him. You are the guy who I have no doubt would be sticking googly eyes places. Even like if, you know, if it was just you and I, like say we were roommates or something. I'm not always nihilistic, but I'm definitely a little more of a cynic at times. And I can get down and kind of frustrated. And you can too, but you are more the type of personality who tries to cheer people up and tries to look at the bright side of things. And you you really do have a, a very positive and optimistic outlook. And so this conflicts, right, with Evelyn big time because she just is not in that mood. And so you have this, I think, very relatable marital conflict where the husband's saying, I'm happy. I love you. Life is chaos. We have bills. We have taxes issues. Our daughter is going through all kinds of crazy phase stuff. And sometimes she's like friendly to us. Sometimes she doesn't want anything to do with us. We have to deal with your dad and his whack-a-mole nonsense at times. But this is what I want to be doing with my life because this is what I chose and I'm I'm happy because I'm with you even in the great chaos of life right now personally I know that neither one of us agree with the I think religious connotations that are in play here because your bagel and your googly eye I don't know if you picked up on this but they're very yin yang even in the coloring scheme of them you know like you've got your googly eye white with black and you've got your bagel which is black with white in the middle and it's it's Chinese philosophy, so it makes sense. Like, that's what is being displayed here. One is happy, crazy, accepting life and its joy. One is life is meaningless because there's just millions of universes and nothing matters. And so I know neither one of us agree with that <laughs> from a philosophy faith standpoint. But even from a storytelling standpoint, I think it works in just showing us what it's like for people who are depressed and can't be happy with the limited amount of time they have on this earth and the the relationships and the things that they are doing in the moment it doesn't it, and people who who feel like they need something more or something bigger versus people who are content with whatever they have especially if they're just with a certain person and i love that underlining story in this, even amidst the chaos. I think that there is value in that. And I hope that people that watch it come out of this feeling hopeful and more content with 
their own life and where they are right now. And if it does that, yeah, that's a big positive for this movie. Yeah. And I think that those two performances are where I latched on the most as well. You're right. I lean more into Wayman's outlook, this idea of not just being positive. I think that's something that's very much a kind of a universalist idea that, you know, thinking positive and the power of positive thinking. I don't buy into that. I buy more into the underlying theme of gratitude. And when you watch how he walks through his life, I would call it what laundromat <laughs> Waymond is what we'd call him. He recognizes with this whole divorce that he and his family, he's not happy and, 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 and Evelyn's not happy. And so in some ways I felt like he was sort of giving her an out even though he cares about her, he cares about his family. But underneath all that, I think there's a sense of altruism that lives in his personality where he sees good things in the mundane. And so when you contrast these two characters, uh, just, well, there's almost like different contrasts and comparing here. But if you look at Evelyn, you look at, you look at Wayman. So Evelyn gets to experience every universe where she is successful as a singer, as an actress, as a chef, areas of her life, parts of her life that whether by her choice or not, she sees success, external success, public success. And then you have contrasted with her, her husband, Waymond, who actually in some of the flashbacks, we see him so excited about opening the doors to this laundromat owning your own business, being able to feel successful in that capacity. But I think it goes a step further because by the end of the movie, we see him as a person who makes that that great speech about, look, I just want to be happy. I just want to bring happiness to other people. I don't remember specifically how he worded it, but he essentially said, look, I just, I want people to see the best of themselves. I want people, I don't want to be the crap that people are stepping in every day. I don't want to be the cynic. I want to be the optimist. And again, that feels a little Pollyanna-ish. And I know in a world of cynicism, myself included, we can look at that and go, that's really unrealistic. But it is realistic because I've experienced that personally, that small wins, being grateful for the small things, like walking into my work office every day, knowing that I can do that, that I have a space that's decked out with fun things I can look around and say, hey, look, these are pieces of my personality. And expanding that to when people walk in, they feel like they can sit down and enjoy it like a lounge, not like all the time, like, you know, get out of my office. But it's more of like, it doesn't feel sterile. It doesn't feel like, oh, yeah, this is just a four corner room that has books in it and a desk and some chairs. No, this is a comfortable place where people can feel like they can have a conversation. You can talk movies. You can just chill out. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful to have that for myself. I'm grateful to have that for my uh, for my coworkers. Family, the gratitude of the small things, being able to cook a meal, being able to spend time uh, playing Uno with my son. These things that are not monumental. They're not earth-shaking. They're not world-changing, but they matter because they matter to people. And I think that's where I latch on to Wayman's perspective is that it's not just Evelyn and it's not just his happiness. It's about this idea of finding that gratitude in the things that you're given and not really regretting the choice you made because it's a choice. The fact is, unless I see it scientifically proven, there are not, there's not a multiverse. The life we have is the life we have and the choices we make are the choices we make and they lead to consequences, good or bad. They lead to successes and failures 
and we learn from them. And you contrast that with Joy, who is experiencing everything, everywhere, all at once. And she sort of represents that person who doesn't have an anchor, isn't centered on something, and therefore they have to try to care about everything. And I think about the person who's like, man, do I care about the Ukraine? Do I care about that shooting that happened like four states away? Whereas like 15, 20, 30 years ago when social media wasn't a thing, I didn't have to think about those things because I didn't know about them. I didn't know that there was a war in Ukraine, except from the newspapers who were giving me like weekly updates. Instead, I get a Twitter feed that says every five minutes, oh, this person has made a bad choice. We've sent way too much money over there where it could be done, blah, 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 blah. And now I'm emotionally invested in something that probably doesn't need to have that emotional investment because it's not local. And what that does is that for me as an individual or for anybody, I imagine it just, it tears them apart in a way that now they can't care genuinely about anything because they care superficially, whether they mean to or not, about everything. And I see that in Joy. And I love seeing how those are personified in these three characters, how they find their own way of caring in good and bad ways. And and I think that's it's I think that's where the strong the strength of this movie lives is in those three characters. That's a brilliant perspective that you just shared with what it would be like experiencing everything everywhere all at once. And I, I love that example because you're so right. I mean, you only have so much capacity. You know, we we joke, kind of joke sometimes. We talk about like, oh, I got to fill out the love tank, which we've used. Uh, you know, I don't know if that came from somewhere or if you made that up. I'm sure some author somewhere said it, but I didn't make that up. <laughs> it came from. Oh, book. okay. I, I can't give you credit for that. Dad, give it. Mm-mm. Well, I, but you've used it before to talk about how you know you need to yep. fill up the love tank, which means you need to spend time with your wife. You need to do things that your wife finds more value in in order to remind her how important she is to you. And sometimes it's easy because we have so many hobbies. We have so many interests. We have work. We have soccer refereeing. We have podcasting. We have video games to play if you're me. You know, you know we have like all these different things that pull on our attention. And you only have capacity to mentally give it to really one thing. I think about the idea of multitasking. I used to pride myself on talking about how great I am at multitasking. I've learned detailed research shows like there is really actually no such thing as multitasking. It's what it's, what do we do is what we, or what we are actually doing is called hyper task switching. So you actually cannot be doing two things at the same time. You, you literally, you physiologically, physiologically and like psychologically, you cannot accomplish that. You can, go back and forth, go back and forth. Think about that and what that does to a person, right? And even in just the way that we live our lives. And so joy is just a hyper-exaggerated version of that taken to its worst conclusion and probably its honest conclusion. And and I think that you made a great illustration of it with the idea of social media feeds and how we do take in everything and we feel obligated to care about everything. We feel obligated to comment on everything, to have an opinion, to be knowledgeable about everything. And what that does is that takes away from the things that are in the present. It just does. And I'm sorry, but people may not want to hear it, but like it does. And so you're making a choice, right? To care more about these things, like you said, that are not local, that are not personal. And we see here in this family, a great representation of how that plays out and how generationally people can 
affect the way that someone parents. Because Evelyn is definitely impacted by her father's lack of approval in her leaving to go with Waymond and come to the States, I guess, and open this laundromat and choose a life of love with him over whatever else he may have wanted her to do. And so then she is passing on some of that to her relationship with her own daughter. And Joy is feeling pushed away and not valued and not important enough. And and it can create this just awful kind of never-ending cycle of problematic like relationships that unless you confront it and address it head on, which ultimately is again in an absurdist way, but like these characters do have to do, and some of it is really poignant and really sweet. Like I personally, the joke that I love the most. I love the rocks and I'm glad that that's like become like the symbol for this movie in a lot of ways, because when they become rocks, I think it's just one of the best scenes in the whole film when they're just sitting there and Joy's like, yeah, this is one of my favorite universes because you don't have to do anything. There's like no people here. <laughs> you just sit here. And then she cusses and her mom. And, and of course, all of this is done in like text on the screen, which is, makes it even more hilarious. And her mom like calls her out and then they both kind of just start cursing together. And I just think it's a good representation of like what it's like to just kind of be in a moment with your child for once and listen to them and not be pushing your expectations on them and yeah, take it in and be quiet. The concept of being fully present is something that I've latched onto in the last probably 10 to 12 years where in a world where in a world in a world where you and i understand that we have different things that attract our attention we're both constantly sort of evaluating where does my time need to go and on paper you should always say well your family comes first yes your family is part of that i don't know that it's not about ranking at that point i think that i think you miss one would miss the purpose of that exercise, which is not what comes first, but really where are you devoting your time to? I would expand that by saying we need to be able to, as human beings, be in the moment with those things or those people. So whether or not we're spending time alone or spending time with other people, that's a different conversation altogether. The point I think this movie is making is being intentionally there with someone else. And what's interesting is when you watch Evelyn and you see her sort of basically getting the Neo moment of like, I know Kung Fu because she's tapped into one of her people, her being able to see all these versions of herself. Yes, it could lead to regret. But I started thinking after I watched the movie, what if she had a choice? What if she actually got to choose as part of this whole mechanic Okay, at the end of all this, if you defeat or if you accomplish the mission, you get to go and be a part. You get to basically embody one of these folks. I think at one point, I think it's um, Alpha Wayman said something like, you can't do that, you know, basically disrupts the space-time continuum. But I started thinking outside of that, if she decided, you know what, that person who knew Kung Fu, that's who I'd want to be. She'd have regrets too, because she'd always have the memory of a daughter that she probably never had in that particular universe. And so when you think about the life that you thought you could live or wanted to live, there's always a piece of the life that you currently have that's going to be lost because it doesn't exist. 
every if if this is very if the truth of the matter is in a multiverse where every decision basically creates a new branch, there will be something left behind. Because my choice 25 years ago to do one thing now negates my decision not to do something else. In other words, if I chose to move to Michigan, I would never have married my wife, which means I never would have had my son, which means I never would have had the experiences that I've had, good, bad, and ugly. So if I went back to that moment and said, but instead, I spent a life being single, or I spent a life doing this, or even if I found somebody else, that knowledge that I have of the other life, of that life that I live right now, would sit equally as regrettable. Because now I have that. I mean, if you could erase that, fantastic, but then you wouldn't have a knowledge of the multiverse. And so it gets into the whole of the science and the science fiction of it. But I just, I thought when I look at Evelyn, she seems somewhat tragic because she's now got this gift of being able to tap into all these versions of herself, but she also has that curse of seeing all these versions of herself that don't have something that she has right then. And so if the grass is greener on the other side, that doesn't that doesn't fly because she will not have the things or the moments that she experienced getting to this point. And anyway, it's it's a that's a bigger philosophical thought, but I just yeah. <laughs> think that that's one of the strengths that the movie has is that it allows me as a spectator to go, wow, if I think about my life, would I have as many regrets living another one of these lives that on paper or in a perception of the public seems more um more valuable? Maybe I would. <laughs> I don't know. Well, and what's really nice too in this, from just a filmmaking perspective, is they riff on kung fu movies throughout those choices. They riff on Hollywood itself in those choices. They make they do a great parody of In the Mood for Love, which is just a beautiful Wong Kar Wai film, and it has some of the most just beautiful cinematography in this movie because they're literally recreating his color palette and scheme there. And I agree. I think it does help us to look at our own life. And I just like movies that do that in whatever way they accomplish it. Some will be like very poignant and sweet and delightful, like a Marcel and make me think about things. Others may be like this and be completely wacky and have just enough meat on the bones there to keep me above water and that's where this landed for me is it did just enough you know you could you could easily tip the scales with the absurdity and i'm glad that they didn't and i think i think wayman helps a lot with that and just being able to always be the anchor and ground the craziness that everybody else is experiencing and it just gives him such a lot of fun to like play with because when he's bouncing back and forth at the very beginning of the movie between alpha wayman and regular Wayman, he is a hoot, man. He he's just so much fun. He, he his like glasses come down, his glasses come up. Oh, it, it's a blast. And you know, the whole Jobu Tapaki character, like I, I love the idea of it and the psychology and the philosophy of the the things we've talked about already. The depiction of it is tough for me because it is so over the top and nuts. It's like. It's a way to create something with all these insanely creative costuming and and just different mechanics with cinematography and visual effects that you can play with, but it doesn't make any sense at all as to why she would be 
wearing the things she does or changing into the things she does. I guess you just have to think of it as a person that has access to literally everything. And at some point, maybe it's a lot like real life in that you find it very hard to become satisfied with anything. And so you're just always looking for the more outlandish and more crazy option. It's kind of like a person into extreme mm-hmm. sports. Like you, you just keep pushing yourself and pushing yourself to find something different. And in everything that to us would be even remotely weird is just a blink of an eye is nothing to her because of what she's seen and what she's experienced. So she's always pushing herself. So I guess in that regard, it all makes sense. I just don't always love watching it. But uh, yeah, I think it really is just, it does come together in the end. I like that we end up with a happy ending, frankly, and a story that ultimately takes a couple that is potentially on the edge of a divorce and walks them back away from that instead of, walking them into it and saying that that's a viable and of a reasonable choice, which is what a lot of Hollywood movies will do. And so for that alone, it also got a lot of bonus points for me. Yeah. I mean, I think there is some merit to being able to wrap up a story with a nice bow. We've talked a lot about honest movies. Honest stories are the ones that don't have a nice, beautiful ending. But that doesn't take away from the fact that resolution can be a good thing, (laughs) whether it's intention or not. The fact is, it's nice to be able to see that a relationship was saved. I like seeing the reason why, not just, oh, cool, successful marriage. They didn't get divorced. That's a win. Yes, absolutely. But the question is why? And I go back to that idea of a woman who valued what was there and not what was beyond her grasp. A woman whose husband saw her not for her skills, not for her talents, not for what she didn't become, but who she was right then and right there. And the the visualization, I think, obviously plays into that absurdity that we've talked about. But I think the, in particular, when we have the the costume changes, like very quick change, it's very representative of, in some ways, the instant vantage point. Like, oh, I believe this. And then you find out some information. Oh, no, 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 no. I guess I got to walk that back. You know, when we lean into, as we talked about before, getting behind an opinion about some story about a celebrity only to find out, oh, wait, that wasn't true. So all the stuff that I was like piling on with everybody else, I need to back off of. I need to go back to, you know, a different look. There's also a kind of a visualization of insecurity that you're sort of adapting to the moment. And I think that the vulnerability of joy is another one of the fantastic performances here. Seeing how she, in her nihilism, just wanted to give everything up, but she didn't know how to focus. She didn't know how to accept this idea that, okay, I've got this burden. How do I control it? How do I live with the burden of knowing that I can be experience everything? Again, not something that any of us can experience, but you have a mother and daughter who now have the same illness, essentially. They have the same burden that they have to carry. And at the end of the day, it comes down to a choice. That's where I think the end of this movie lands well, is that 
all of these things came down to a choice. It was Evelyn's choice to stay with her husband. It was her husband's choice to fight for that and to provide companionship for her. It was Joy's choice to accept her mother's hand. And it's a happy ending. Win-win for everybody. To an extent, the movie does leave us At with least a in little this bit universe. of sort of... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right? Well, I guess maybe for everybody in all universes, because of... she doesn't destroy them all, so everybody wins. Yeah, You're right. Everybody wins, maybe. Let's <laughs> just leave it there, maybe. <laughs> we'll have to ask Evelyn. Does anybody win in this one or that one or this one? But, you know, the movie doesn't tie up everything. And, I, and it's, I don't call it cheap, but I kind of expected, oh, yeah, you've still got taxes to pay. You've got you've got receipt after receipt after receipt, which kind of gives me nausea thinking about that. I'm like, that just, wow, that just gives me a little bit of anxiety. But po- the poignancy of the end of the movie is essentially you're on the right track. It's not fixed. And maybe it will never be fixed, but it's better. And it's better today than it was yesterday. And I think that that's a good way to leave a story like this, which is we're not always going to get it right. And we may never get it right where we're living in perfection, but at least we're moving on the right path. I think that's great. And I think we should end it with the wonderful words of Waymond. Please be kind. Yes. Yeah. Great way to end that one, because that will do it for this edition of Feel and Film. Next week, we will be dedicated to all things Sundance, so be sure to tune in to all the coverage we have coming your way. After that, we'll be back to our regularly scheduled conversations, so don't fret if you like those. Hopefully, that's why you listen. But uh, enjoy the Sundance coverage here in the next uh, 7 to 10 days. It'll be fun. Also, be sure to check us out on the Now Playing Network. Aaron, thanks for another great conversation, and we'll talk soon. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filmed.